Welcome to Aim High, Grammar Kingswood's alumni podcast. In this podcast, you'll hear from the voices of students, alumni, staff, and faculty who embody the values of the Cranbrook community. This episode is brought to you by alumni.fm, a CK alum podcast production company with a mission to connect people through stories. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. Hello. Welcome to today's show. We have Kadir Muhammad on. He is class of 2016. And he is also going to be one of the new hosts joining us on this show on AIM High. So very excited to have him and say hello. Hey, I'm Kadir. It's an honor to be on this podcast. I'm really glad to be here. And I'm excited for what we're going to do. I'm excited for the uh, long-term potential that this podcast has to offer. Awesome, awesome. So tell us a little bit, Kadir, where are you currently? What do you do? Yeah, so like for the last couple of years, like ever since graduation of 2020 and like COVID, I've been like moving around for a little bit. Like I went to Maui for a year and now I'm here in Chicago. And essentially my overall like life goal is to become like a wildlife exotic veterinarian. I'm getting experience so that way I can apply to vet school right now. So that's like my main goal. I'm working at a vet clinic and just getting in hours. And then in my free time, I do like photography, this podcast, and just I like networking with people and just so I can meet people. I'm a huge people person and I like meeting new and interesting people every day. So I do what I can. All right. So exotic veterinarian, what does that mean? So that's essentially a doctor that takes care of animals and there are many different kinds of veterinarians. You can do anything like equine, avian, you can specialize too in like cardiology, emergency room, surgery. My dream is to like multiple paths I can take. I see myself taking, I can go like the wildlife and exotic route. I always want to work in zoos. I feel like that'd be a lot. Of, I haven't done it yet, so I don't know what it fully entails, but I just, in my mind, I picture it being a lot of fun. Or I could do like a wildlife in such of like sanctuaries, because when I was in Maui for that year, it was a primate sanctuary. So I figured I would be working with monkeys and I would like to work with monkeys long-term. I really just like any kind of animal. I just want to work on anything and everything. I want to be able to do everything. In terms of specializing, probably like surgery or like Maybe emergency room. That's interesting too. If not, uh, wildlife. So what inspired you to go down this path? That's actually a great question. So, you know, like when you're younger, your parents ask you like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I took that a little bit seriously. I made a list when I was like five or six of all the things I wanted to do. And one of those things was become like an inventor. So like build toys and stuff like that. So I guess an engineer. Design, be a movie actor. Cause I feel like that'd be a lot of fun. And veterinarian was on the list too. And as I grew up, I eliminated things from the list slowly, but surely I'm like, you know what? I could be an actor. That's not in the cards for me. Or like engineering, it's a lot of math and science, a lot of work. And I don't want to have to necessarily do that kind of work. I want to do a different kind of work. And as I grew up, I found out that I was like really passionate about animals. And, um, I just like watched a lot of National Geographic growing up and I'm like, this is really interesting. Like I just really sparked my interest. I had a, like different books about different animals. Now I read those books continuously and like five, 10 times, and man, these horses are so cool. And like, I can't believe evolution happened and we don't have a saber toothed tiger anymore. And also I want to get into conservation because I know like species of animals are slowly dying. I'm hoping that I can just play my part and help them out. So when your teacher asked her that, what do you want to be when you grow up? You didn't go to typical firefighter or uh, astronaut. <laughs> yeah. I just know I wanted to work with animals in some way, shape or form. Yeah. All right. So you said there's some sort of like preference for monkeys, right? Why is that? Well, when I w went to Maui, like it was a year long internship where I was taking, I was a caregiver to different kinds of monkeys. There were capuchins, spider monkeys, marmosets, and tamarinds. And these are all like new world monkeys. And the spider monkeys, they're actually kind of, they're like big boys. Like they're pretty big. And same with the capuchins. They're just like really strong. 
with the jitsu. And like while I was working with them, I felt like, like a really like huge connection to like, you know, nature and like these animals. I was able to look at an animal and they're like, I don't know what it is. But my intuition told me that something was wrong with the monkey. And like, I, we would figure out what it was. Like the monkey was just like, you know, not feeling too well or like had upset stomach. Someone would throw up and I'm like, okay, yeah, it's definitely not right. Ever since working with those specific monkeys, I even have like favorites. I know I shouldn't have favorites, but like it, it's hard not to. To carry them all equally, like I'll give them all the kind of care. But it's like sort of behaviors that I like that made them my favorites. Like Makato and I, he's my homeboy. And then same with Simon was the best. Because there are overall like 36 monkeys at this sanctuary. And I, it was like a pleasure to take care of every single one of them. So I think I want to like take care of something like that on term. Tell me a little bit more about Makako and Simon. What's so special? So Makako, he has like a sad story. Most of them really do. So Makako, because it's a sanctuary, so essentially the sanctuary would take care of monkeys and give a really great life after whatever happens. So like some monkeys were taken from labs. Some monkeys were ex-pets. I'm not sure if anyone who's listening knows this, but monkeys are not good pets. Like they're cute and cuddly for like the first like couple months, but they hit puberty and they become very aggressive towards humans and very territorial. Makako's story was that someone found him somewhere in South America and they just like sold Makako away. And this guy happened to get him. He took really good care of Makako. He took really great care of him until he grew up and Makako grew up and he went to college. You can't bring a monkey with you to college. I'm not sure any other colleges allow this, but Michigan State sure doesn't. He's like, I gotta find this monkey at home. I can't take care of it anymore. And then that's how he ended up in now care. And he like so checks in on the monkey. He's like, hey, I want to know how Makako's doing. Is he all right? Like we still contact the owner. Like, hey, Makako's like no bit down, but he's doing all right. If you want to FaceTime him, you can. I want to FaceTime this monkey. It'll be super cute. And then essentially what happened was like, he used to be an ex-pet. So I would essentially, like, I think you kind of reminded me. I reminded him of his past owner because he really wound up to me really quickly. Like he'll let me like groom him really well. And just like, he would just like look really at peace and at ease. And just like the connection that we had was just a little bit like stronger than the other monkeys. Mainly because he relied on me so much. If I'm not like being like groomed like a deer, I'm not that happy. And I'm like, oh, I gotta groom him today. And then he like won't eat unless like you syringe him food. Like we have this thing called gruel. Sounds gross, but the monkeys love it. And he won't eat his, unless you actually you know mix it with banana baby food or you like syringe feed it to him otherwise he'll eat so he's a little bit more dependent on humans than the rest of the monkeys are so that's my long-winded answer to why makako is my favorite <laughs> i think it's amazing that you're able to develop such a close relationship right with makako and it sounds like okay there's maybe some sort of attachment there so do you miss him does he miss you absolutely my game plan is to eventually make it back to maui if not just for a week so that way i can you know volunteer there for a little bit and just like take care of the monkeys to see how all they're doing and even check in on the volunteers because it was just a really good community that I like really miss. It was like a great staff, great ownership. It was just a great experience. Like 10 out of 10 would recommend. So if anyone wants to eventually go into veterinary medicine and they want to work in an internship for a year in Maui, Hawaii, uh, just reach out to your boy. Yes, definitely. All right. So I know right now you're in Chicago. So where are you doing Chicago? So Chicago is like the next stop in like my journey in life. Chicago, what I'm doing right here is I am working as a veterinary technician and reception at a vet clinic. It's like a pretty big vet clinic. It's called VCA and I'm just getting experience. I need to like be able to feel comfortable giving injections, taking blood, restraining animals. That's a big one. And giving like that one-on-one -on -one time with the actual owner of the pet so that I can know how to take history and know which questions to ask them and know like how to build the bigger picture from what they're telling us. Because the one, or not the one, but like the biggest gripe 
I think that, that is in the veterinary community or like working as a veterinarian is the fact that animals can't talk to you. They can't tell you what's wrong. They can't tell you how they feel. And animals are really good at hiding their symptoms of illness. So like when the owner recognizes it, it's like sometimes, not all the time, so I want to say, but sometimes it's gone past, it's like a big issue, right? Like sometimes, oh, my dog's been like vomiting and having diarrhea for the last three days. What should I do? And like, bring your pet in, please, so it can be examined. Or sometimes like dogs will like eat or play with toys and like they would chew in the string and ingest it and it will cause a blockage. So I, and my dog has a poop for the last three days, what's going on? And we're like, oh, let's do some x-rays. And we can see like the blockage, like there are kidney stones or cancer or whatever. So I got to figure out how to build a bigger picture with the owner of the pet and not the actual pet itself. Cause like you can only do so much with the pet. You can't be like, hey dog, like, why are you feeling under the weather? The dog's not gonna be able to respond. You got to ask the owner the questions. So I think asking questions and communicating is the biggest part in the veterinary profession. Okay, so isn't there an element of this helping owners also become better at identifying when there are issues? Yes, part of it is also educating like the owners on like what to do. And most times it's like their experience. Like sometimes you have first time owners that don't know anything. They're like, hey man, I'm new to this. I'm trying to figure it out. And I think if that's the case, like people are like, are very like willing to take that time to help them like understand things because you're new. So don't, you haven't gone through this before. And then you have my experienced owners that either do a good or bad job. If you've had a dog, for generations, you would, I kind of wanted to have a higher expectation for you to know what to do with your pet because you've had pets before. It's just a matter of experience. At the end of the day, like we take our time to educate the clients on what's going on, which is another big part because we can't take care of the pet from illness to like recovery. The owner has to do that. We diagnose what's wrong and we tell them how to fix it. Whether or not the owner does it is on them. We recommend a bunch of treatments for your pets. Like we can say, oh, this pet's going to need this. And due to whatever reason, whether the owner doesn't want to do it or they can't afford it, which is most commonly things can be pricey for your pet. Like I was now that I'm working in as a receptionist, I see all the prices for everything. And I'm like, wow, like owning a pet can be expensive. And if you don't have pet insurance, it can be very expensive, like surgeries, like space, dentals. If a dog or cat has a blockage, that's going to be pretty expensive. Even emergency room trips to the veterinarian is expensive. So like sometimes like, I don't want to do this because I can't afford it. And I'm like, I get it. So I, I think we try to work around that, to see what we can do for the client. So those must be pretty tough conversations. So how do you navigate those? Quite a few tough conversations, to be honest, whether that be about, you know, money or the fact that we have to say like, your cat's not going to make it, needs to put it down or euthanize it. A couple of weeks ago, there was a client and like, they called me and they're like, hey, I'm come, can I come in to put a pet down? That's a different situation than like, put, like telling someone we need to euthanize your pet because that situation. A was like, yeah, I know this needs to happen. I'm expecting it. I'm going to be sad, but like, I'm going into it knowing it's going to happen. Sometimes there are people that bring in their pets and they don't expect it. They just think you're like coming for a check or like my cat's falling down under the weather. And then we do the exam. This cat needs to be put down like right now, not doing well. And then that's when they're kind of like, that's the hard, I think in my mind, the harder conversation to have, because you got to tell them like, Hey, well, I don't have this conversation because I'm not the veterinarian. The veterinarian tells them, but I talk to them like after the fact when they're checking out and that's the worst part is like having them because we have to like pick, charge them for every service right so we have to charge them for euthanasia fees and we got to charge them if they want like their remains back or if they don't want their remains back or if they want to put their remains back in their urn or a special kind of pop and i had that conversation and that's a little bit more it's like you got to kind of be gentle be compassionate empathetic like i've had pets before i haven't had to euthanize my pets yet but i can only imagine how it would feel and I think if you've gone through the experience yourself, you're a little bit more 
you kind of know what to say, but it's different for every person, right? Like some people just want to be left alone and quiet. Some people, unfortunately, you can't like hug anyone because it's COVID. And I'm like, my way of expressing relief is like giving people hugs, stuff like that. And I can't do that. I feel like a little bit handicapped in that sense. I can't do that. So I just kind of take my time and I just listen to them. Sometimes people just want to tell their whole life story. And this one lady, she was saying like how good of a dog she had. Like she was the best dog ever. And she was taking care. Like she did a good job taking care of everyone. Like when she went through a tough time, the dog was there to help her out. And when she had to euthanize that pet, it was just a really heartbreaking experience. And she just told me that her, the dog's whole like life story. And I just listened and I asked questions. That was being present in the moment. I don't like to rush anyone in that process. I'm like, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. Just let me know. And then let them do what they need to do. Like talk and get it off their chest or stay by themselves or just want someone to be in the room with them. I'll do whatever they want me to do. Yeah. These type of sensitive conversations, just having empathy and just the willingness to truly listen and try to understand. It's a sad experience. Like you like have a lifelong friend from like some people, they've had a pet since they were born. Say, for example, there could be a child that had a dog ever since they were like a baby. And when she has to put them down, it's going to be heartbreaking. Or like they got this cat during a really tough time. So it symbolizes something. It's much more than just a companion. So I think it's worth it. And people are worth, definitely worth it. You should like take the time and just be present in the moment with them. Kadir, tell me about, tell me about a comeback story. One of the happiest experiences you've had on the job. Happiest experience that I had on the job. You know what? I'm not sure if this is the happiest, but it's the most recent happy experience I've had. I was above the others. There are actually two instances. Yep, two. So I highly recommend that if you're a pet owner, that you get your dog microchipped or your cat microchipped. You might be thinking like, oh, my dog's never going to get out. I'll be my dog 24-7. That'll never happen. But it's just, it's like a form of insurance in a way. Because like, you never know. This one pet got out and it was just, this one dog got out and this lady was looking for a pet for a while and she couldn't find it. And it's winter in Chicago. It's brutal out here. Like, it's really cold. You don't want to be outside and just, a dog has fur, but this dog didn't have that much fur. It was a smaller dog too. So I'm thinking, man, I feel bad for this dog. I hope someone finds it. Fast forward like a week, someone like found this dog. And I'm like, I was super happy. It wasn't microchip though. That's what was so crazy. Like no one microchipped this dog, so we didn't know. But they reported the dog lost and we were able to pair up the dog with the owner. And it happened again, like for a second time, because I, I can actually biggest, like visibly distinguish this dog from other dogs. I was able to like, I saw this dog and went, oh, I know this dog. And we microchipped it and we called the owner and the owner's, oh my God, I had no idea that he got out. Thank you so much. I'm going to pick him up in 30 minutes. And then we're like, absolutely. So we held that dog there for 30 minutes. And we're like, it was a super sweet dog. We all loved him. I'm a huge fan of getting your dog microchipped because you never know like when your dog's going to get out and like someone, hopefully if your dog's friendly, someone's going to pick up your dog and take it in and get it microchipped and scanned for that. So that's like the most recent happy experience. Well, also really quick. So I never heard that terminology before. So microchipping a pet. So that's basically tracking, right? Yeah. Is that pretty common? I think it's pretty common. I think it should be at least. I think everyone should do it. Essentially microchipping is where you take the, like you take a little needle, like it's a microchip into like the scruff of your cat or dog. And then it's just like a microchip and we have a scanner and we'll scan the back of the pet. And then the microchip will register with a phone number and address for the dog. So that way the veterinary, the veterinarian's office, they'll be able to like say like, Hey, we found this dog. If you want to come pick it up, here's our location and they'll come pick it up for them. Got it. What's one of the most surprising things that you've learned through this work? I've always thought myself to be a patient man, but I'm learning that there are levels of patience that I, I have to discover because I think it's just because working with animals, like you have to be patient with them in order for it to like work. And you have to be patient with the clients too. I've dealt with like really difficult customers and whether that be for a good thing or bad thing, it's really just pushing my limits. 
not in a bad way. I'm like learning how much more empathetic and how much more patient I can be. So I think that's a skill that I'm also picking up. Also communication. Like I thought I was good at communication before when I needed to be, but I'm learning like which questions to ask and like which picture I need to like build on. That's those are the biggest things. Yeah. Is there a specific experience in mind where you realize, yes, I'm not as patient as I thought I was? Yes. Yes, exactly. There's, um, so when I'm dealing with clients, sometimes like they are just like telling me what I need to know. It is perfect. Sometimes they tell me a little bit of a longer winded, like a longer winded story and I'm like, no big deal. But it's people are just like being resistant for, in my mind, no reason. I'm thinking like the doctor told you to do this. They're not going to lead you astray. Like these are good veterinarians. They're going to do, they're going to act in the interests of your animal. Why don't you listen to them? Or like, say for example, I'm like talking to a client and she's just like going off and off, or he's going off and off about a service that he didn't want to pay for, but it was necessary for the animal's like life. I'm like, if we didn't do the service, then like, with services come up like follow-up services to you, right? If a dog comes in with a broken nail, we have to give it like a nail trim because we got to trim that nail off. So they can really like, what's going on with this? Or say, for example, I, all I think about is like phone experiences. Like I'm talking on the phone and like the client's like kind of like yelling at me about whatever. I have to sit there and listen to it and be patient and think, how can I explain this in a way where she'll understand why we did what we did? And I'll try to explain it to her. And if she still doesn't do it, I got to try it again. And then, because to me, it's so like cut and dry, but I know not for everyone it's that cut and dry because I'm with it. I'm there for throughout the entire process. And she's like only there to bring her dog in. We take the dog into the back. We do whatever injections, whatever we need to do. But I think it's really just, at the end of the day, it's a cost concern, really. Okay. Okay. So this is interesting because it says like a general theme and I suppose like service oriented jobs where there's just a heavy focus on trust and they're just trying to verify whether or not you guys are actually working in their best interests. Exactly. Right? And like life is expensive. Taking your dog to the veterinarian can also be expensive, especially if your pet is sick. So if your pet's sick and say, for example, you're not, you know, bank, you're not like balling out, it could like be a pretty penny. Like people like clear out the bank accounts to afford surgeries for the pets. Oh, wow. And so like, if you ever get like a slight semblance that you might think something's off, then you're just going to flip because you spent so much money you expect. And if your dog's not recovering and you spent so much money, you're spent all this money on a surgery and the surgery's not working. Why did I spend all this money on the surgery in the first place? And we could say like, this isn't a done deal. Like the surgery will help, but it's not a guarantee. And they're like, I don't care. Just do the surgery. And if it doesn't make them feel better, they're like, I spent all this money for nothing. How's Kadir becoming a more patient man? I'm just realizing that like, I could be more empathetic. I thought I was empathetic before just dealing with animals, but especially during like the euthanasia process, I used to be able to. It's never a comfortable thing for me to do because I don't like, it's a sad, but unfortunate reality of the profession. Like sometimes there are animals that you can't save and euthanasia is a humane way to put them, you know, essentially out of their misery. But having that conversation is always sad because you see how much like the owners love their pets and you can like see in their eyes, like the years of history they've had. So just like talking to them throughout that process has shown me that I need to be more patient and understanding and empathetic. It's a tough process to go through. Yeah, I know. Uh, so, so you went to Michigan State, right? Michigan State University. You studied zoology there. Before you made that choice or commitment to studying that major, was there some experiences that you had at Cranber that also nudged you that way? Or actually, a little bit. When I was taking Mr. Tuck's anatomy and physiology class, right, and that was by far one of my favorite classes I've taken at my Cranber experience. It was also one of the hardest classes that I've taken in my Cranbrook experience. And it's only hard in terms of sheer content of memorization that you have to do. You have to like, mem like know every single bone, 
and every part of it too, of this, the left to right side. And I think it's all human anatomy, but it was super interesting because I knew that I could apply it towards the animals too, because we have a similar bone structure. But yeah, and that was like just a really good class. I enjoyed taking it was super science heavy, super like this happens because of this very clear cut. But the only issue, quote unquote, was the fact that it was just like a lot of materials like memorize. I really enjoyed every single moment of that class. Studying for it was a pleasure. Like I really did enjoy that one. I think that kind of helped me like understand more, like knowing why things happen within the body. How similar is the human bone structure to animal structure? I won't use a scientific term, but I think I'm forgetting it from my college days. But like we've evolved and met all mammals have a kind of similar bone structure in, sen in the sense of we all have carpals, metacarpals, and tarsals and metatarsals. It's just the way that shape is a little bit different. Like there's homologous structures. I think that means essentially the bones are similar, but the way they're shaped is different. You know how dolphins have fins. In those fins, they have what we would have in our hand. And like cats and dogs, they have their paws and essentially like their hand. And they have a radius and ulna. We have a radius and ulna. It's just shaped differently. That's essentially all mammals across the board. Like we all have skull, vertebrae, ribs. Some of us are like, we walk on two legs and what four legs, but it's all like similar in a sense. Got it. Okay. All right. So, so it was that course at Cranberry that also nudged you towards that direction. It just nudged me. Yeah, it nudged me more in the science direction. Yeah, it, it feels like uh, by the time you reach high school, you, you already knew what you wanted to do. Yeah, for me personally, I think I still had a list of things I wanted to do while I was in high school. And I didn't know what it was until I reached like my senior year because I that was the senior May project. And that was when I'm like, you know what, I'm going to give veterinary medicine a, a chance. And I did a senior May project at Bantha Pet Hospital. And I was just working with a doctor and I was like watching what he would do. And I'm okay, like... I can see myself doing this, but I don't want to do necessarily what he's doing long-term, right? I can see myself like working in an office. That'd be nice. But I also kind of, when I went to Maui, I'm like, I want to work more in the field. So I guess I'm trying to juggle like which one I want to do more, more of be in the office or working in surgery or more in the field and be out in nature. What do you think right now? More in the field or? I'm working in the office right now and I'm leaning more towards the field. I feel like that would be nice. So yeah, I think I'm going to just want to be, because I like not randomness, but spontaneity. I like not knowing what's coming up next. And I like, I like being able to figure things out, you know, just like, if it's the same thing day in and day out, I'll get bored of that, you know, that's too monotonous for me. Yeah. It sounds from the outside perspective, it, just, it sounds more adventurous. And exactly. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking too. In the field. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So after, say after working a few more years in mm -hmm. Chicago, what's next? What's coming ahead? I'm applying to vet school like right now for this cycle. And if I don't get in, I'll apply again for the next cycle. After that, I don't really know what will happen. Hopefully I get in this cycle. So I'm applying to like Michigan State, University of Illinois. I'm not really sure where else yet. I'm doing more research because some vet schools have different requirements. They require you to take different classes and some of them require the GRE, some of them don't. I don't want to take the GRE. I just don't have the desire to take it. So I'm going to apply to schools that aren't accepting the GRE or they don't want the GRE. So. I know Michigan State and University of Illinois are my two right there. And Wisconsin, I would apply to Ohio State, but out-of-state tuition is very expensive. It's like $60,000 a year. So I don't want to be like a quarter of a million dollars in debt when I graduate. Yeah, don't, not a big fan of that. Absolutely not. <laughs> Hopefully we can get some uh, student loans wiped out, but uh, if not, I don't think I'll do Ohio State. I did want to spend a little bit of time also touching on your photography project. What's, or video, videography, like what's happening there? What's going on? Yeah, so with photography, I guess... Right now, it's more like a personal hobby that I want to make into like maybe like a side hustle or business. What I'm doing right now is I'm just shooting around when I have time to shoot and I'm having a great time doing that. 
and I want to be able to do weddings. I think there's something beautiful about capturing a moment where literally everyone in the room, hopefully, is happy. Like everyone's in high spirits. Everyone's just super, you know, like happy to be present and involved. And I love taking candid photography, like candid pictures. People do photography for like different reasons. I do it to capture moments. I want people just to be able to look at a picture that I take about it and think, I know exactly how I felt in this exact moment. And I love this photo because everyone looks either happy or I try to capture like the true essence of a feeling. So I think weddings, all those like positive feelings are heightened. So candid photography makes even more of a difference. But I, my camera that I have is super old and that shouldn't really hinder me from doing wedding photography, but it just makes me a little bit nervous because wedding photography is like weddings are only happens, you know, once. Unless you gotta get remarried, unless it happens twice, but you no, know, you can do whatever you want. But like that wedding is like a once in a lifetime, or if you're still your first wedding, your first wedding is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I don't want to miss certain moments. Gotcha. All right. So what's coming up in your future is you're going to be an exotic veterinarian. And then on the side, you're going to be a wedding photographer. Yeah. Now it's an interesting array. I guess like the dream would be to be able to mix like veterinary medicine and photography and like do something with National Geographic. I feel like that would be amazing. Cause that way I can like go to different sanctuaries, take care of the animals, also take pictures while I'm out there. Two birds, one stone. I'm all about efficiency, but I guess like on the current rising, let's say in a, in a perfect world, I get into vet school for the class of 2023, 24, something like that. And then I go from, to vet school for four years, get my degree, be able to practice and then just travel and take care of animals and do photography on the side. Also wedding photography, just a nice way to do a little side hustle, a little side income. Awesome. I've learned a lot about your profession. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> I that. I like to vet myself. I like educating others. Yes, yes. And I hope whoever else is looking down this similar career path will reach out to you. Well, where, where can they reach you? Absolutely. You can reach me on like my email address. It's qmuhamad16 at gmail.com. Just shoot me over an email. You can also follow me on my socials. Like my Instagram for photography is kadirphotos, Q-A-D-I-R-P-H-O-T-O-S. So you just reach out to me. That's going to stay consistent. I kind of change my personal Instagram handle every so often just to keep it fresh. But yeah, you can like DM me on my Instagram photography Insta. So yeah, just reach out. If you ever have any questions, I'll be happy to answer. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And don't forget, Kadir is, Kadir is a new host on the show. So also, if, if you want to be interviewed on this show or you have a guest recommendation, there's also your guy. Absolutely. Looking forward to that too. All right. One last question. Mm -hmm. Who do you want to hear from next in the podcast? Ah, that's such a good question because I feel like there's so many interesting people from Cranbrook. I've already interviewed Anamika and Brooke. I'm really excited to interview Raghav. Raghav was a friend of mine in high school and like, we just kind of lost touch after college. Life happens. He's doing like really cool stuff. So I'm excited to like hear from him. I feel like he's living a really interesting life, you know? All right. He's, that's all yours, Kadir. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't wait. This has been Aim High, Cranbrook Kingswood's alumni podcast. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate if you could take a few seconds to subscribe wherever you listen and leave us a five-star review. This helps a lot in getting the word out and making the podcast easier to find. For any feedback or guest requests, please send an email to robert at alumni.fm. Thank you so much for listening and catch you soon. Mm -hmm.